Welcome to Sports with Friends. This is episode 376. 376. Wow. Um, today we have another Cuse alum. As a proud Syracuse alum and someone who uh, also teaches up there, but just looking back, you know, Ian Eagle and uh, and his son Noah Eagle was on the show, and you know, from that generation, Andrew Catalan's been on the show. Uh, Dave Cohen recently, he's a Syracuse guy. So we've had a lot of Syracuse people. But this is not a Syracuse-only centric uh, podcast. The new television broadcaster for the MSG Network for my hometown team, the New Jersey Devils, is Bill Spaulding. And I met Bill about 10, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Uh, speaking up at Syracuse, and uh, I remember he was at WAER Radio where I went, and I was a, a big alum from there. And so to have Bill on the podcast is wild. Now, I have followed Bill's career throughout uh, his, you know, his tenure since leaving Syracuse. I have followed Bill's career since he left Syracuse, uh, but the irony is uh, this is the only professional sp- American sports team that I, I openly root for. And, you know, I, I've talked in great detail about what the New Jersey Devils mean to me personally. So the idea that you are having someone I knew as a student call the games that I watch virtually every night, um, it's truly remarkable. And it's great to have Bill on the show. It is also week 10 in the National Football League, and we will check in with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. We'll break down all the games in Game 5 and the latest odds of them. But it is also a sad time, and it is a sad time in the hockey world, and it's a sad time for us and everybody who has anything to do with sports with friends. Not long ago, we had Peter McNabb on the show. Uh, Peter uh, is, is a former New Jersey Devils player. He went on to become a broadcaster for them during my formative years, you know, my, my teenage years. His first season, they made the playoffs for the first time, and then he finished his run uh, when they won the Stanley Cup for the first time. Then he went, went on to Denver, and he's been a voice for the Colorado Avalanche for the last 22 years, a couple of which I, I covered the Avs and in Denver got to know Peter that way. When he was on Sports with Friends, uh, he told me that there were some medical issues. Um, back in February of 2022, um, the Avalanche had released a statement saying that his cancer was in remission. I knew that it had come back. Uh, he asked me to keep that private, and I did. And unfortunately, when he was on the podcast, we talked about coming back on. We were making plans to come back on. We had this really fun idea about reuniting him with Gary Thorne. Peter McNabb died from complications of cancer. His time with the Avalanche is significant. He was there from the minute they moved from Quebec. You know, he saw Joe Sackick and Patrick Waugh and Peter Forsberg, and then this most recent Stanley Cup champion team. Uh, he played parts of 14 NHL seasons with Buffalo, Boston, Vancouver, and then wound up with the New Jersey Devils. So before we get to Bill Spaulding, I, I do want to play. This is one heart-wrenching segment of uh, Sports with Friends from episode 362 just 10 weeks ago when we talked about his coming back on the show. From, from the bottom of my heart, I also want to say 
uh, good health to you. Yep. And just make sure that maybe when, when the season's getting ready to start again, um, as long as you're feeling up for it, come back, to, come back and do another podcast. Oh, because you know what I, I, I would really enjoy it'd be fun. It was just to talk about the days with the devils because, yeah. you know, I was there when people like yourselves, I mean, there was Rangers and that's all you could cheer for. You know, it's just the Rangers, the Rangers. And they always had this arrogant aura. You know, they weren't necessarily. Oh, but it's, they were all- it's an obnoxious fan base. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> They're great fans. And all. Oh, I remember, you know, with, when I was with the Bruins going up into the stands, just stupid stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. I, doing my research, I did see a video of you going into the stands. Oh, my God. You know, goodness gracious. But the fans you meet at, that were devil fans from the beginning, were always the most fun to talk to because they suffered those teams. You know, Denver sent a really bad hockey club to New Jersey. And whereas Quebec sent a really good Good club (laughs) to Denver, you guys got, I mean, you look at that first night roster and you're like, wow, wow. You got, but, you know, through the Mullers and through the, you know, the the Verbeek. Muller, the captain. Yeah, you know, they, uh, it, it started, you could see it was starting to grow. And, you, you know, you knew that, and then, and then you came in and Greg Adams gets traded to Vancouver for Patrick Sundstrom. And, yep. you know, all of a sudden, Mark Johnson comes over. It was so much fun. Just so much fun. I am so honored that he came on this podcast. And I'm so sorry to his family, to the Colorado Avalanche family, to the NHL family. Uh, just the, the articles that have been written, so many wonderful things have been written about Peter McNabb. With that being said, let's introduce Bill Spaulding. Did not get rewarded with a point. Here's a chance in front and Bastion scores! He replaced the Emmy Award-winning announcer Steve Cangelosi, who stepped down earlier this year after 11 seasons in the booth. Uh, the Devils have had a history of outstanding play-by-play announcers, Uh, Doc Emmerich, we mentioned Gary Thorne. Bill's worked four Olympic Games, two Paralympics, covered events such as track and field, speed skating, ski jumping. He's done college hockey for Harvard, Boston College, Northeastern. He currently does the uh, broadcast with another Devils legend, Ken Danico, who's also been on this podcast, episode 352. So 10 weeks before we had Peter McNabb on, we had (laughs) Ken Danico here on the show. He won the prestigious Jim Nance Award in 2012, presented to the nation's most outstanding collegiate sports broadcaster by the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America. And we watch Bill Spaulding every single night in our house. So of the 376 episodes, I think we've had 75 Cuse alums uh, on the show, and that's really how we do this here on Sports with Friends. Uh, But the fact that this young man uh, was a kid that I saw in school and now he's calling the games for my favorite team and my family's favorite team. It is truly an honor to have Bill Spaulding on the podcast, Bill. Welcome. It took you long enough to come on this show. <laughs> hey, son. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. And uh, I, I applaud the 20% or so ratio of Q's alums. I think that's a, that's a good number to start any podcast with, right? Seriously. If we were going to have a, co- a show called sports with friends, I'd have to put all Q's people on uh, <laughs> that, that. That's the way it goes. So, when I met you, you were at WAR. And what I remember, if, if, if my memory serves, there was a Syracuse Northwestern game and I saw you in the press box of the Dome. And 
you were telling me how this was your favorite thing to do. Like calling games was your favorite thing to mm-hmm. do. That's not the experience of every person who goes there. There have been pregame hosts and sports at television anchors. What was it about play-by-play? Did that come from Syracuse? Was that before Syracuse? You're doing the gig that you seem the most happiest doing. Yeah. Uh, so I think like uh, most of the folks in my role, I'm a, a failed athlete. Like I grew up always wanting to play sports professionally and uh, got to a point where you realize that's not a real possibility. So how else do you stay involved? And, uh, you know, from a young age, I was always one of those people who knew all the stats, like my sister's four years older than me and she'd play travel softball. And as a seven-year-old, I would be sitting there telling the parents, oh, well, when they play this team next, we played them three weeks ago and beat them seven, two, yada, yada, yada. So, um, (laughs) you know, you know, that was always something that connected with me. And uh, when I was really little, I was a planner and I thought like, oh, I'll play pro baseball and then I'll be a baseball broadcaster afterwards. (laughs) Um, I got rid of the pro baseball part, but I always knew I wanted to be involved with, with, with play by play. And then, you know, yeah, getting to Syracuse, you go to school, you do everything. You do the pregame and postgame hosting. You do talk shows. You do news reports. But but play-by-play is always where uh, I had the most fun. You know, I, I feed off the energy in a building. For me, my favorite moment of any game is, like, that 10 or 15 seconds before face-off or kickoff or anything like that when there's just this buzz and everybody's kind of yeah. quieting down but murmuring. And, you know, you have a whole – 60 minutes of possibility ahead of you and you don't know what's going to happen. I love that, that buzz. I still get goosebumps uh, in moments like that. And um, uh, you know, I want to be there. I want to be in the center of the action and that's where you get to be as a, as a play-by-play guy. More with Bill Spaulding in just a moment. And I hope you enjoyed that tribute to Peter McNabb. It is also week 10 in the NFL. And for that, we bring on the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, the Thursday night game, the Atlanta Falcons take on the Carolina Panthers? I think we already made the joke about it not being an Amazon Prime-worthy game, just an Amazon game, so we won't uh, <laughs> linger too much. But, you know, you called it a clunker, Seth, and it is a, it's a clunker of a division, that NFC South. Uh, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are co-favor, or sorry, co-leaders of the number one seed in the NFC South uh, at four and five with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, New Orleans Saints kind of right there at three and six, which is a weird, not many teams in the NFL at three and six can you consider right there. Uh, you know, the, the Panthers, uh, quite famously, a few weeks ago, they fired their head coach, blew everything up, traded uh, Christian McCaffrey, and then they beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. So uh, what to really make of this division? I, I think it really does speak to how tight everything has been in the NFL. You know, we know who our top two and three teams are, uh, you know, your, your Bills, your Chiefs and your uh, Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, every, everywhere else, it's, it's kind of a bit of a mushy middle here. I, I think the Falcons are better than what the Panthers are putting out there, and it is shown in that they are three-point uh, road favorites at Pavada in this one. But the, the betting action is split pretty 50-50. I don't think uh, players know too much what to make of this one. Over-under uh, sitting at 44.5 right now. Meanwhile, there are some really compelling matchups this Sunday in the National Football League, including those Buffalo Bills uh, taking on a Minnesota Vikings squad. Now, these are two elite NFL teams, so anytime you have these two teams against each other, it's fantastic. However, Buffalo's smarting. They lost to the New York Jets, and I'm telling you, that was the upset of the year so far. You know, the, the Bills really just got in their own way in this one. It, uh, you know, it, it, credit to the Jets, they made the turnover, they made the most of the turnovers and the opportunities that uh, came from them in that second half. But that really was a game where the Bills just got in their own way. 
Uh, you know, looking at the Minnesota Vikings set, uh, they are seven and one, but they've done so in a way that hasn't really wowed people. Uh, still, great for the Vikings. You're you're four up on the next best team in the division, Packers, right now. So you're feeling pretty comfortable in the driver's seat of the NFC North. But looking at the odds in this one, the Bills are currently six point home favorites at Bavada over the Minnesota Vikings. We are seeing a little bit more money early on on the Vikings than the Bills. I do think some of that is again reflective of the record and uh listen this is an a fast turn turnaround reaction kind of league and like you said the bills just lost to the jets Vikings seven and one that might be enough to be driving some of this early action set it really will be a game that is must watch uh, i mean that, that's one of those uh games meanwhile over in munich germany the seattle seahawks will take on the tampa bay buccaneers this is the seahawks who are underdogs in a neutral site to tom brady and the buccaneers who are under 500 Explic on por favor. No, wait, that's not German. <laughs> uh, Seahawks at Buccaneers in uh, in Munich at the Allianz Arena, where I've been to see Bayern Munich play, a beautiful facility. If we were to line this earlier in the season with Geno Smith uh, under QB for Seattle and Tom Brady, the winningest QB of all time, uh, you're, you're looking at probably a seven-point Tampa Bay Bucks uh, favorite in this one. However, because of the gameplay that we've seen so far, you know, Seattle and Geno Smith's looked good. Uh, some, some people even talking about MVP uh, possibilities for Geno Smith. Uh, the Bucks come into this one as only two and a half point home favorites. Uh, you know, again, they barely squeaked out a win last Sunday at the very last minute. Uh, you know, maybe some questionable calls late. The Tampa Bay Bucks defense has been great though all year. That is one thing that has been consistent. Anyways, again, the Bucks two and a half point home favorites. And the better share your skepticism, Seth Everett, as uh, the vast majority of all money bet. Our biggest money line decision of the week at Bavada is on the Seattle Seahawks right now. All right, let's go back stateside and hit California. Levi Stadium, the San Francisco 49ers hosting the LA Chargers, two teams that are on the fringe of contention. Yeah, kind of. You know, these are two teams that uh, have had kind of an up and down season. The 49ers recently went all in a little bit, uh, trading Jeff Wilson. Sorry, uh, they released Jeff Wilson, but trading a bunch of draft picks uh, to Carolina for uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, in an effort to you know, stay relevant. And these are two teams that are both in the mix. The Chargers five and three, one back of the Chiefs. Uh, the 49ers four and four, uh, surprisingly two games back of the Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks. Uh, these are two teams that we had high expectations for, for before the season. We have a lot of respect for the coaching staff and the use of analytics for both these teams. Uh, as it currently stands though, we are a bit higher on the 49ers than the Chargers because they come in as seven point home favorites at Bavada. Over under is sitting at 46 and a half right now, which is kind of mid range for the week. And uh, action split so far, pretty 50-50 on this one. Chargers had a big win uh, coming back late against the Falcons. Uh, but again, the 49ers, they're looking good. They're looking healthy, which is most important for a team like them. That's usually what slowed them down. And yeah, we'll see what comes on next Sunday night. Should be a great one, though. That is the great Patrick Morrow from Bavada. Every game not covered here is available on their website, as is the NHL, the NBA, all the political stuff as well. Now back to our conversation with the new voice of the New Jersey Devils on the TV side, Bill Spaulding. One of the things that I know is the, the alums that I went to school with, you know, Dave Pash and the Andrew Sicilianos, and um, we all had a checks and balances that I hold dear. Uh, you know, my, my whole idea was if the broadcast is good to satisfy them, there wasn't a teacher 
that could mm-hmm. influence me more. It, it was my peers. Um, did you guys have that at, at, at that point? And who were some of the people that maybe our listeners would know that really pushed you, whether they were older yeah. people giving you advice or your classmates that are now also in the business? Yeah, we absolutely had that because, you know, you go through the student media there, be it WAER or some of the other stations like Citrus TV or uh, Z89 Radio. And, you know, there are faculty that are involved at the very top, but they are not involved in the day-to-day process. So it is your peers, your classmates holding you accountable and you're holding them accountable as well. You know, we would have uh, Sunday night meetings where we went back over the entire week's broadcast, what was good, what wasn't good, and we weren't afraid to tell our friends, even though we were very close, uh, we weren't afraid but to you tell called each other out. I, I yeah, remember we those meetings. It wasn't, we, yeah. wasn't, wasn't good enough. Yeah. yeah. And that's how you get better. That's how you push yourself. For me, um, you know, there are a number of very influential people from my time at Syracuse. Um, I think most notably would be Kevin Brown, who's the voice of the Orioles, does a lot of play by play for ESPN sure. as well. So Kevin was oh, two God, years ahead another of me. Another Cuse guy I got to get on yeah. the show. <laughs> He's, uh, he was two years ahead of me at school. So, you know, he was somebody that I looked up to. He was uh, the sports director, when he was a senior, I was a sophomore. So that was back when I was making a lot of play-by-play tapes and things just to get on the air. And he'd be the one listening to all of them and, and critiquing them. You know, I interned uh, one of my summers in school for him and Jason Benetti when they were then with the Syracuse Chiefs. Oh, sure. Um, so so that was obviously very formative for me. And then Kevin was someone I leaned on. I was fortunate enough to be the sports director at WAR for two years as a junior and a senior. Oh, really? And, um, and so I God, leaned on Kevin change. a lot. Yeah, God, how things. Yeah, are. yeah, and then you know, in my year, um, folks that I'm still close to, I'm very close to back then as well, and that would help push me. Um, John Nolan, who is the uh, voice of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, uh, he's a New Jersey nice. native. Uh, sure. Um, very. I close remember meeting lived, him. Yeah. Yeah, lived with him for a couple of years. Uh, um, close friend of mine. Um, and Andrew Cannell, another uh, close friend of mine back at school. He's currently out in the Seattle area doing stuff for Pac-12 Network and uh, oh, for wow. a couple of the universities out there. Uh, and Chris Lewis, who um, was another uh, guy in my my year that I called a ton of games with, and he has really surged the last year or two. He's doing a lot of national stuff now for um, for CBS Sports Network and CBS, and it's been awesome to see kind of how he's grown. He was out in Boise, Idaho for about eight years. So those are guys that um, not only kept me honest then, but guys I still respect. I still send stuff to them sometimes. They still send stuff to me sometimes to listen to and critique and get their perspective on it. Oh, and I think... I think you've always got to keep doing that because, um, you know, I, I, I always look at, at none of us are finished products. We're always looking to get better and, and improve. So it's important to have folks that you can trust to tell you when something isn't as good as it, as it could be. I want to thank everybody who subscribes to Sports with Friends. On Monday, we posted a teaser for a podcast that I want you to also listen. Don't Call It a Comeback is a new podcast from Wondery, co-hosted by former NFL star Ryan Shazier. He has a story to tell when doctors told him he would never walk again after a devastating on-field injury. It wouldn't be his last play. He came back onto the football field because the one thing the odds don't account for is the will to overcome. He hosts the podcast along with Dave Demchek, a former fantasy analyst at NFL Network. It covers the greatest comeback stories from the past week in sports. Stories like Albert Pujols' resurgence to join the 700 Club and major culture moments like Rihanna headlining the Super Bowl halftime show. The feedback I saw on social media about this podcast made me interested. I listened to the first episode. It is wonderful. 
It's inspiring, and they're timeless, so you can listen to it at your own pace. Follow Don't Call It a Comeback on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Okay, so connect the dots. You did. You you worked the Olympics. I remember that. Mm-hmm. You worked the Olympics, and I remember talking to you then. Uh, what else had you been doing before this Devils thing? And yeah, and then tr- evolve this into. So Steve Cangelosi leaves. He announces it on social mm-hmm. media. It's all over the stratosphere. And Steve is a wonderful guy and a great announcer. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see how much time we got. How far back we go here? I can. <laughs> well... <laughs> uh, I'll I'll start. So I left school. Um, and my first job was was minor league baseball in Dayton, Ohio. I did a, a summer of minor league baseball. And um, I know some folks love the the minor league baseball lifestyle. I'll be honest. I it was not necessarily for me. It was oh, a great year. I learned a ton. My boss, Tom Nichols, was great. I worked for an amazing organization out there. So I, I learned a lot, but I quickly realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so after that season, you I know, did I a re- year uh, in 1995, I did the Auburn Astros. They were the Astros then. Yep, and yep. I said, Nope, I can't. Yep, this isn't yep. for me. I don't, I didn't love play-by-play enough. Yeah. And, and I like play-by-play, but honestly, yeah. I've always been someone who's, I enjoy the faster sports more. And I think that actually suits my strengths more. So, um, you know, and I, <laughs> I know some folks say, Oh, you can find something new at the ballpark every single day. I, I'm not sure I really believe that. I think there yeah. are a lot of days where the games felt exactly the same. Um, <laughs> That's a separate know, and, conversation when you come yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, um, you know, I went from there uh, to the Boston area. I'd reached out to a lot of colleges all over the um, the country to, to find a place where I could kind of make a home base. Uh, it helped. I was, uh, I met my now wife when I was a freshman in, in college and uh, she's from this area as well. So um, that helped. We had a kind of a foundation that we built on. Um, you know, I started doing anything and everything I could for all the schools in the New England area. Um, so that means, you know, some nights you're calling football or hockey or basketball. Other nights you're calling field hockey or fencing or water polo or wrestling. Wow. Um, wow. And that helped me kind of build up this base of a broad variety of sports um, you know, from there you start to work your way up. So in, in 2015, I got hooked up with uh, a network in Stamford, Connecticut called that at the time was called One World Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had they had the American rights to a lot of international sporting events. So I did two years calling, you know, KHL hockey, uh, oh, wow. Chinese basketball association basketball Wait, in person or on monitors on monitors in yeah. Stamford, okay. Connecticut, um, you know, calling Yomiuri Giants baseball games at one o'clock in the morning on the east coast um wow. but but that was that was a really cool experience for a number of reasons first off the level of play there is very good i mean the uh, khl has sure. some absolute superstars in that league um you know the uh chinese basketball association was full of former nba guys um so so it was fun and on top of that it had me in stamford a lot and that's when i first met the folks at nbc sure um and because that's that I building had- where the yes network is Yes, yes. Yep. So it, uh, that's where One World Sports was located. And since I was going to be down there, I reached out to some folks at NBC, uh, met with them in early 2016. And, um, you know, because I had done so many different sports and said yes to so many different sports, um, they liked my reel right off the bat because I had called so many sports that a lot of folks hadn't. Um, so I immediately that's got a role smart. with the, 20, yeah. the 2016 Olympic Games. Um uh, I did a broad, I was on something called the swing team, which meant I bounced around from sport to sport. So at that Olympics, I did judo, I did modern pentathlon, 
I did uh, get out. Um, uh, let's see what else did I did shooting. Um, you know, I did a, a race walking, a uh, broad variety of sports for the Rio Olympics. Um, and that led me to get linked up with the folks at USA Track and Field. So track was a major part of the last five or six years of my life. Called a ton of track meets. Loved doing track and field. Um, and then NBC became the other major part of my last five years. Um, they like like me enough that as they launched things like the Olympic Channel, I, I became a regular fixture doing anything and everything for them. Ski jumping, speed skating, cross-country skiing, track, et cetera. And that led to roles in both the, the 2018 Olympics and then 2020 and 2022 doing track for Tokyo and doing speed skating. Um, I remember watching. I, was, I remember being in, this, in New York City doing Westwood One for the Olympics for 2016 for Rio and watching you. Yeah, and telling yeah. the producers, because it was just like you, a producer, maybe an intern. And I'd be like, I know that guy. And they were like, you don't know that guy. Stop <laughs> telling people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was a blast. And, and you know, from there, I got some work doing college hockey through NBC. I did a few Notre Dame hockey games with um, with Anson Carter out in South Bend. And obviously still doing games in New England. College hockey is the sport you want to do here. So, right. I, I, you know, I, I did a ton of Boston College and Harvard hockey the last uh, eight or ten years where you see a lot of guys who are now playing in the NHL and always loved doing hockey, always felt like it was a sport that um, suited my style well. This portion of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Uncommon Goods. One of the hardest things that I have found, especially in my adult life, is shopping for my mom, my teenager, my in-laws, even friends. I don't know what to get as gifts. I hate bringing things and I hate doing gift cards. Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free, so check out their selection of thousands of items today. Here's a couple that I found and got from my relatives. The MLB Park Map Glasses. Each set of two whiskey glasses features a map of an iconic MLB stadium in the team's two main colors. I got one for a friend in Seattle, and I got one who's a Nationals fan. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. No matter what your family or friends are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everybody. And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. With every purchase that you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com SWF for sports with friends. That's uncommongoods.com slash SWF for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Now back to the show. When the devil's job came up, um, you know, I honestly don't know if I did anything right away, but my my agent reached out to me when I was doing the, spe I was down in Disney World doing the Special Olympics for ESPN. Yeah. Um and my agent was like, hey, uh, you know, I sent your stuff over to the folks at MSG and just heard back. They'd love to interview you. Um, so I did a phone interview from there, went and did an audition with Dano, which we we sat in a studio. We called an entire game yep. from the previous season. We did some on-camera work and screen tests. Um, 
you know, I left there feeling like things had gone well, but knowing that it was going to be a tough job to get because there were a lot of other great folks in the running. I knew about and 12 then, people that went for that job. It was, yeah. Wild. And then, then about a month later, got a phone call that, that uh, the job was mine if I wanted it. So, uh, I'm so, so glad that I had this opportunity has been an absolute blast. And, and the folks on the MSG team have made my job so easy. Our produ producer and our crew in the truck and Dano has been just excellent to me. So it's been, been kind of a dream way to start this job too. Mr. Devil, uh, Mr. Danico has been on this podcast. He was episode 352. So you are, this was about 20 weeks ago. Uh, he okay. came on the pie right at the end of last season. I remember that. And I, I remember that because on that podcast, we talk about Steve leaving and what that was going to be like having a new person. And if I could have seen the future and said, Oh, don't worry. It's going to be a cute guy that I know that don't, don't, don't worry. But I remember having that conversation uh, with him then um, he explained in that podcast in detail, how people welcomed him, how Mike Emmerich made him comfortable and gave him confidence. Um, he's, he's told me, uh, that you have adapted amazingly and that you're doing great. And I watched the game, so I, I would tell you, uh, probably not on the podcast, I wouldn't tell you, but uh, no, just kidding. Um, what has he meant? What has he been able to do to make you comfortable? Yeah, I mean, I think, first off, I think we were just lucky. For some reason, even going back to the audition, you know, I felt like we we gelled really well. Like we just kind of fit in. We had a cadence that worked with each other. And so on on one regard, I think there was a little bit of just luck that, that we um we just jive right off the bat. And it, it doesn't I'm not I'm not having to force the chemistry. It feels genuine. And if it if it comes across as genuine on the air, it is because it is. So so that's been great right off the bat. You know, he is just I always laugh, like you have the impression of Ken Danico, 2,500 penalty minutes, could yeah. could knock you out if he needed to. The team. He is, he is like the, you know, such a friendly, positive, gentle guy away from the ice. So so that's been great. Like, just so nice. Answers any of my questions I have, um, you know, and, and then he's also like, at the end of the day, he's he's laid back when it comes to like, okay, what are we going to talk about in the open or this or that or the other things? He does not dismiss my ideas if I have ideas. Oh, and good. he gives his ideas. And you know, so I know going into a game what he wants to talk about, how he feels about things, um, which is which is is helpful as well. And then, you know, his passion is just um, contagious. Like he he loves the Devils. He lives and dies <laughs> yes. with every Devils game. Like we're we're high five it in the booth. You know, yeah. in close games late. He's he's pacing. He's jiving back and forth because he's he's so anxious and he wants them to win so much. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun to be with him during this this win streak because you know he and Erica and Bryce uh, and, and Kanji have been through a lot of games going the other direction. Yeah. So it's been fun to see how much they're enjoying this right now. Yeah. You know, I, what I said to Dano uh, off air, I said, I, I need you guys to be better because my daughter's 14 at a very impressionable age. <laughs> She's super loyal now, but I don't know that that's going to carry. If you guys go 15 years, you guys can't become the Pittsburgh pirates like <laughs> that. That simply can't, can't be. Um, Erica's a Syracuse person too, right? Yes. Did you know yeah. her in college or is she a lot younger we, than you? She, no, she's a year ahead. She was a year ahead of me in school. She was class of 2012. I was class of 2013. That's so we wild. didn't overlap in terms of classes or anything, but, but I did call a few of her field hockey games. She played on the Syracuse field hockey oh, team. So for, uh, for like the Syracuse athletics website, I called some field hockey. So I saw her play as an athlete and knew her, knew her as Erica Walker, the field hockey player. Uh, Get until out. Got over here. 
that's, yeah. Yeah. that's, that's pretty wild. Uh, that, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, as, as we've talked about, you are an understanding person of legacies. And you mentioned Cangelosi. I mean, before that, it was Doc Emmerich. Before that, it was Gary Thorne. Uh, I remember when Chris Moore was calling games. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've been a fan since literally minute one. You know, I moved to New Jersey. I've told the story on the podcast before. I moved to New Jersey the same day the Colorado Rockies moved to New Jersey. Mm. And I was eight years old. And my father uh, cut out an article where I could vote for the team name. And I was eight years old. And my dad at the time said, how close the vote was. So I thought for the first two seasons that I named them. Like <laughs> I, I I've known since minute one, like we talked during the beginning of the podcast about Peter McNabb. Like I remember him as a player, like my first hockey game ever was the devil's first game. And because of that, because of that legacy, this is not a thing where th- there is a tradition with this franchise that maybe a lot of people listening to this podcast who aren't big Devils fans don't realize, but it's not just those three cups. There is a legacy of great play-by-play announcers, and I think that's a a big baton, like not to put pressure on you, but that's a big baton to take over. Yeah, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard you've got big shoes to fill. Um, Fortunately, I wear size 14 shoes so uh so (laughs) i I do have some big shoes but no i mean i i really take that to heart you have to make Um, that the promo i I really i really take that to heart because honestly um you know that that means a lot to me in my opinion and i've said this a number of times doc is the the best there ever was and the best there ever will be i have a hard time imagining there will be anyone that calls and i couldn't believe the devils had him as their announcer i still can't get over that (laughs) I, and I was lucky growing up in upstate New York. I was able to watch Devils games. So I, I got to watch Doc, not just nationally, but on his uh, sure. his regional shows as well. So so obviously, you know, you mentioned Gary, then Doc, then Kanji. Um, Gary's coming he, on in a couple of weeks, by the way. Gary Thorne. Okay. Yeah. Coming after I had to get you he's first. Not, he's, he's, the, he's the one with the big shoes to fill this time, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, that, that means it means a ton Touché. to me because I, I know what Devils fans expect. I mean, they they have had elite broadcasters even the folks like you who've been there from day one the devils have always had elite broadcasters so the fans have a standard that they have come to expect and i know that i owe them that standard as well so i mean that is why for me uh in the months leading up to this i you know spent every day prepping like it was a game day you know i read every book on devil's history i i you know i i watched a lot of last year's games to see not just how the msg uh team worked together but also to see you know how the team played last year and things like that huh. um and yeah, you're and a me- prep guy you you can see that you you prep you tell you you bring in facts on the on the edmonton oilers that i didn't know and i, I was just like wow he does his homework well, and to me, that comes like my one of my favorite broadcasters uh, in the outside of hockey world is Mike Tirico. And I feel like every sure. time I watch a game from Mike Tirico, you know, I learn something. So that's what I, I want. Half of Newhouse is named know. after Mike Tirico. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I personally think like as a as a play by play guy, I hope fans come in the game. You know, obviously, my number one job is just to get the basics right. The who, the what, the where. But on top of that, like, I want you to have fun because we're watching sports. So, you know, I try to have right. fun. And I want you to learn something because I assume like the reason you have the volume on is because you you are interested in learning and having some contextualization, um, you know, so and then obviously, like, I want us to, to put Dano in a situation or whoever the analyst I'm working with where they can talk about the things that they want to talk about 
as as well. Um, so you know, for me, the way I tried to tried to jump into this role right off the bat is just to prepare uh, incredibly hard for all of these games and uh, and then go out and be myself because I'm not going to be another doc. I'm not going to be another Kanji, but I want to be able to provide the same quality of broadcast that I know Devils fans deserve and expect. And um, I think the folks again at MSG have done everything they can to put me in position where they make it make my job easy to try and to try and do that. It is uh, super early. Uh, so I do not want to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, those first two games were same old devils and they were chanting fire Lindy in the stands. Um, and all you kept thinking was, Oh my God, like they made all these changes and nothing's changed. Nothing has happened. Nothing's been done. It's pretty remarkable. So what's, what's been, what was those two games like as you have all the nerves of you're doing your first two games and they played putrid, like they were awful those first two games and then bam, something flipped. Yeah. So I think in our production meetings and in the locker room, there was not quite as much like panic as there was outside noise because I think the preseason in context, you had to remember, they, they did show a lot of signs in the preseason that, that they were going to be a better group. But that being said, I think the things that um, were concerning the first couple of games, obviously were the, the big mistakes that led to goals going back the other way. So that even if in both of those games, they outshot their opponents by double digits, um, the score lines ended up going the other way. And, and I think on the broadcast there, we were trying to put things in context. You know, I think, you can't sugarcoat things. I think that's important. Like when, yep. when fans can see something, you can't sugarcoat it. So we have a relationship with the players and the team and, you know, we want to be fair and factual and, um, and things like that. But I think you also can't sugarcoat things when they're not going well. So, uh, you know, I think in some situations we try to contextualize things, but in some situations we tried to, um, you know, speak to what everyone was seeing with their own two eyes as well. Now, I think what has really changed is that, um, so the day after that second game, so it was like the Monday just after the season started, yep. the Devils had what, by all accounts from folks who've been around the team for a long time, was maybe the most intense practice in season they've ever had. You know, it was physical. They had 40-second shifts. They're whistling every time there's a mistake to correct them. And I think for anyone who had some confusion about the system or had any confusion about like what they were supposed to do with the puck in their own end, which is where most of the problems were, that was kind of addressed and fixed on that Monday practice. And since then, you know, it seems like everyone kind of understands what their what their role is, what they're supposed to do with the puck. Their puck possession has been much better. And that's the big key for this group, because if you take care of the puck and get it out of your own defensive end, there is just so much firepower and speed and skill going forward that when they have the puck, they put other teams on their back heels very quickly. So I think that's the biggest thing is they they cleaned up the mistakes because in the games they've lost, they've still had the bulk of the puck and created the bulk of the chances. They've yeah. just had a few mistakes that have come back and, and bit them. And then I think the other big key is, you know, they've also gotten better goaltending from Mackenzie Blackwood or Vitek Vanacek during this long yeah. win streak where they've made saves that have bailed them out after mistakes. And if you get a save or two like that, that helps really build confidence. That was a big missing link last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, right. I think that's been the other thing. Like I think the goaltenders, their numbers aren't going to be top five or top 10 in the league, but what Dan always talks about on the broadcast is, is the timely saves. And I think they're making timely saves here and that, that 
that keep the momentum with the Devils, whether that's keeping games close or whether that is, you know, keeping leads or whether it's something like the the Edmonton game this week where Vitek Danicek made a couple of huge saves when it was 3-1 or 3-2 yeah. just to give the Devils the chance to get back back into the game. That was uh, wild. Um, tell me about the play in Calgary when Jack Hughes flipped the puck between his legs behind the net. My goodness, how good was that? that was one of those Are that's you so kidding good me? You, yeah, that was so good. You had to see the replay just to get an idea of how good it was because in play, you just kind of see the puck get out to the front. You're like, oh, that's a great pass. But then you watch the replay slow down and you realize he never looked. He put oh it between God. his legs. And he, it wasn't like he just fired it out there. He put the perfect amount of touch on it so that it, it met Nate Bastion right where he was on the ice going in. I mean, that is next level. And uh, the type of plays that that I think when folks see Jack Hughes, they just salivate over. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's encouraging about this devil start is I think Jack Hughes, he's on a point of game pace. And you he hasn't been great yet. He hasn't been, been spectacular. Right. Well, yeah, yeah I right. think he. He's put himself in position to score six, seven, eight goals, and it's been a bit unlucky this year. So, you know, sooner or later, that's going to even out, yep. and he's going to get some luck, and you, you throw that in with how everything else is going. And, uh, yeah, it could, it could be a lot of fun. Well, somebody's going to yell at me on Twitter that I haven't brought up Jesper Bratt yet, and <laughs> just the idea that that guy is is also a special player. And I, oh, yeah. I, yeah, he's turning a lot ahead. You're seeing a lot of national articles being written about him. It's not just getting a point a game for 11 games. That, that's cool. I, I'm not, yep. I'm not dismissing the accomplishment, but he also, the, the speed that they show in their ability to push the offense yep. from defense, that is remarkable how yep. fast yep. they are. Yeah. And he's been so fun to watch because he is so creative. He sees the ice so well. Um, I think one thing that's kind of gone a little bit underrated for both him and Jack Hughes this year, especially playing together, is they've both improved a lot on the defensive end as well. Part of the reason the Devils' defensive numbers are so good is not just they they have bolstered the defense, but their forwards are giving much better commitment to the defensive end. Marino's very as well. good. Brendan Smith yep. is very good. Yep. yep. Yeah. And but then the forwards are playing good defense yep. as well. But yeah, Jesper Bratt's awesome. There's a reason why he has such a big following of fans and is a fan favorite in, in New Jersey. It's because he plays so creatively puts players in positions to score uh you know i think he's fans identify with him too because he was not this super uber highly rated prospect you know he's a sixth round pick who worked his way through some lower levels to get up here and has, has worked his way into a better and better player each year and then on top of that he's a guy who bet on himself you know he decided just to sign a one-year deal this year with bigger thoughts in mind and you know they, yeah. the saying is bet on yourself because there is some risk like if this year did not go well he sure. would have ended what's up the, losing what's out. The football player, the Seahawks, uh, the, the defensive back, that yeah, I know, I know yourself, and he got yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah. So that that happens to folks, but right now, uh, I mean, no one has done more to help Earl themselves long term yep. than than Jesper Bratt has this season. And I know, uh, I know, Tom Fitzgerald has, has spoke about uh, recently that you know, really come good January, guy, Tom gonna, Fitzgerald, yeah, really good guy, yeah, yeah, great, great guy. And he's spoken about uh, recently, like. Devils GM going to start those negotiations as soon as he is allowed to by rule in January. And if, if Jesper keeps producing like this, obviously he's going to put himself in position for a, a really nice contract. And, you know, in closing, one, one thing that I noticed, you know, hearing the story of, of you calling KHL games from a, from an office in, in Stanford, uh, not going on a road trip is not a big deal to you. I mean, if anything, that's you're, you're probably just as a company, uh, you know, a company that, and, and used to it, um, you felt very, very comfortable. And once the game goes to the arena, you can't tell. 
Yeah, I think to me, to me, it's like just making the best of whatever situation you're in. Are there some things that that are different when you're in a studio than when you're there? Sure, there are some things you don't see, but then there are also other things you're able to focus on in studio that maybe you don't focus on when when you're at the game as well. So so there are things that that uh, that you adjust to. But but yeah, I mean, between my work with NBC all the different Olympic sports, uh, the KHL and Chinese basketball stuff at the, at one sports remote, back in the yeah. day. And then even the last couple of years of uh, a pandemic broadcasting, you know, some of the shows I've done for ESPN or for NBC were literally done in my office at my house. They sent me yeah. equipment and I, I called, you know, national shows from That's there. Wild. So I think, I think it's comfortable. What I've learned in situations like that, you know, I crank up the, the arena sound in my ear because I think the thing that, learning from early on doing them, the hardest thing that you have to do is to uh, replicate the energy that you feel when you're in a building. So I, you know, I try to blast the blast the natural sound, get that tunnel vision, and you can fool yourself into into believing that you're there. Now, that being said, obviously, we're, we're going to be on the road in, right, in Canada next week. Sure. Going to Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa. We're going to have a blast being there. We're going to be on the road really most of the season. So, uh, so but, and, it, and it's great to be there. But yeah, I think like, you know, the reality of, of TV sports the last few years is there's been a lot of that. It is it is not just at the regional level, it's at the national level. Sure. And uh and But I it's think, something that you're more comfortable with yes. than others. That's that yeah, that was younger, that was the point that I was that was yeah, and I think younger broadcasters have learned that that is much more the norm for yeah. them starting out than it used to be too. So we're in a position where it's easier to be adaptable compared to someone who's been doing it one specific way for thirty or forty years. We really appreciate your time. How can people find you online who are hearing uh, this so, for the first time? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Bill Spaulding and on Instagram at Bill Spaulding PXP. Put a lot of Devils content out there. Uh, right and on. love to hear from you guys too. If you've got, you know, questions or things you'd like to know or have Dano talk about, you know, sometimes I have the same questions. So so feel free to hit me up with questions and we'll try to address uh, address some of them on the air as well. Fantastic. Bill, congratulations, man. Uh, look forward to seeing you at the arena and uh, welcome to New Jersey, buddy. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it. That's Bill Spaulding. Again, we do a new episode each and every Wednesday right here on Sports with Friends. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the support on the podcast, as always. And go Devils, right? Come on. I'm going to convert y'all. That, that's the whole idea of this podcast. If I can't follow my favorite teams. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go And then you'll know For me to stay I got to be me You'll never be in doubt That's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile Come on, please I'm gone Forget reaching me by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see and you have been the kind of person 